0: Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green.
1: I'm glad that you could be here today. Uh, We're going to look at a bunch of, well, not a bunch, but a couple of different passages of Scripture you start out looking at this screen. Uh, d- does she look a little bit confused? Uh, some parts of the Bible may seem hard to understand and many people just give up while other people just make it up and they don't try and get to the actual truth. Second Peter 316, Peter said that people who are untaught or unstable twist the truth, misunderstanding what the Bible teaches to their own destruction. Some of you are ripping through your Bible to get to 2 Peter. I was just reading that verse, okay? We'll get to uh, 2 Timothy in a minute. You can go ahead and start turning there to give you something to do with your fingers. Okay, listen. Peter said they mess it up to their own destruction. It hurts them to not know God's word accurately. Now, what some people say, you, you can make it mean whatever you want. Well, that's not true. There is a meaning. You can distort the meaning any way you want. People do that. Politicians do that every year. I mean, they quote the Bible and God is definitively for the Republicans. And they quote the Bible and God is definitively for the Democrats. And, and you know, I, I like what uh, happened in the book of Joshua when Joshua came and saw the the uh, captain of the army of the Lord. and He said, are you for us or for them? And the Lord, the Lord said, I'm me. I'm on my side. You get on my side. That's what needs to happen. It's not the politicians to tell you whose side's gone. If all the politicians got on God's side, God's side would be a great country. It is a great country, but it'd be even better. So, so the Bible is knowable. The Bible is, borrowing a phrase, figure outable. It is. So, what we need to be doing is seeking truth and avoiding error. See, there's a wrong way to read and study the Bible, just as surely as there's a right way. And the wrong way is more common. The wrong way is more prevalent in our culture, especially on the internet the wrong way. So we need to avoid that. There is an appropriate method of biblical interpretation that anyone can follow if they will just take the time to learn it and use it. Now, some people intentionally reinterpret the scripture. Uh, They want to make it say something else. They want people to follow them. They don't want to have to submit to God's word. They want people to follow them. So some people intentionally mislead, but some people just incorrectly interpret it because they don't know any better because that's what they've heard and they haven't actually studied it for themselves. Last week we were talking about you You can't use the excuse, well my pastor says, because God said, you need to study and you need to follow the Lord for yourself, by yourself. And pastor can help you do that, but it's still your responsibility. So uh, please understand, there is a logical and spiritual method to interpret God's word. For understanding, for learning the Bible. And it's really not very complicated. We just have to do it right. So I said we're gonna be in 2 Timothy. If you turn, if you're not already there, turn to 2 Timothy chapter two, and we're gonna start in verse 15. We're gonna only read verse 15 actually for now. Be diligent, some of your translations will say study. Study, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed This is if the the commanding general just told his troops, do this. This is God telling you and I to do this. The apostle Paul wrote this to Timothy, but by application, we learn directly from it. Be diligent. You need to develop a keen interest, an intense desire, a passionate expectancy when you get into God's word. You, You read it. And I remember the first time I read through the Bible, Kathy had challenged me to do that. We were dating and and she thought I spent a lot of time talking to God and not enough time listening to God, which was accurate. And so she challenged me to read my Bible and I started reading the Bible and I was fascinated. There's so much in there and no kidding, I read through the whole thing in two weeks. All I did was go to work, eat and read. Uh, for two weeks I read through the whole Bible and then I started through it again and uh, now I read from different translations so I hear it a little bit differently sometimes and my brain's not thinking about what's coming next I'm listening to this part but but I've read through the Bible bunches of times (laughs) since then but I was amazed at how much stuff was in the Bible I always wondered how those preachers got their ideas for their messages it's in there right? (laughs) And so be diligent. You need to put in the effort. You need to put in the work. And by the way, kids, it doesn't say, once you were an adult, be diligent. No, it just says be diligent. That's for kids too. You need to learn. You need to grow. You need to mature in your understanding of God's word. Now, later in the message, those of you who got one of these cards, you know who you are. Later in the message, I'll call you up. Don't stress about it yet. You can stress a little later, okay? Um, So be diligent to present yourself, to show yourself. This is an act of formally presenting yourself to someone who is a superior. So again, if you were in the military, you understand presenting yourself for inspection. And when you go up and you're in the Marine Corps or in any branch of the service, and you go up for, for inspection, uh, and they're coming by to inspect you, you don't just stand there, hey amen, how's it going? Yeah. Now you are at attention in the Marine Corps. Your thumbs are right along the seam of your trousers on the side. Uh, you're standing tall, you're ready and you can't look at them no matter what they do. And you know, Marine Corps boot camp, they, I mean, they lean up, they get right in your face, off to the side just a little bit. One of them even blew in my ear to see if I would turn my head to see what he was doing, but you can't do that. And so you are presenting yourself for inspection, okay? I want you to think about that phrase right now. Present yourself to God for his inspection See, I, I don't there's nobody in this room that I don't like and, but whether I like you or not, what does God think of you based on his word the, the guidelines that he has given you, what does he think about what's going on in your heart and life so you are to present yourself. To be approved unto God. Approved is examined and proved genuine. Now, I read in a book about a lady who got this huge diamond rock from from her fiance, and it was she was just so enamored with that big, beautiful rock on her finger, and then found out it wasn't diamond, it was what? Cubic zirconium. Yeah, instead of being that $2,000 diamond ring, it was about a $25 ring. And, uh, and he just, he just <laughs> deceived. I'm not saying Kevin did that. I, I'm just saying <laughs> somebody did that, okay? Some guy did that. So to be approved, this is to be examined and then approved. See, this is not just God. God just loves you. God loves you so much. Is that true? Yes. Yes. But the mistake people make is they think God wants you to stay just the way you are. God loves you so much, he doesn't want you to stay the way you are. He wants you to be approved to him. Approved to God. See, you can fairly easily slip things past other people, right? Um, Years ago, (laughs) Ryan Reeves was living here in town and he was working in one of the... uh, He was a manager in uh, a cell phone store. I don't remember which one. Uh, But uh, Jim and I went in to buy cell phones, Jim Reeves and I, and and we were there looking at cell phones. And, And back in the flip phone days, you know, this was so long ago, flip phones were cool. And so I was so excited to get a flip phone instead of the brick I'd been carrying. And I asked Ryan, I said, hey, do you have one that's green? Like my last name. Well, I'm also colorblind. And Ryan said, oh, sure. We've got a green one here. And he pulled one out and went to the back, came out and said, how about this? And I said, that's a green one? He said, yeah, it's a $50 upcharge for the green. And I said, that's worth it to have it match my name. That'd be so cool. You know? And then this lady there says, Mr. Reeves, th- that one's silver. And Ryan's like, man, I could have got 50 bucks because I'm colorblind. I couldn't tell the difference between green and silver. He could have sold it. He wouldn't have, but he could have. Okay? And so it's easy to slip things past other people. See, but, but God sees you all the time. Not only does he see you on the outside, he sees you on the inside. He looks all the way to the heart. So here at church, when you're smiling and you tell people, I'll pray for you and praise the Lord and God is good. But on the inside, you're thinking, I'm never going to remember this request. I'm never going to pray for them. Why don't they just get out of my faith? I'm not saying any of you would do that. But there's people that we can hide it on the outside. We can appear one thing and on the inside, something else. There are people who have clinical depression and need medical help, but on the outside, they just keep smiling and trying to hide it from people instead of getting the help they need. So God sees everything. Now, some facts about God, right? He is loving, yes. He is also demanding, he is exacting. He loves you intensely, but his approval is in part based on your response to his love. See, years ago my brother was in a baseball game and and, uh, it was a really close thing and, and he was trying to score on an in the park home run. For those of you who don't know what that means, the ball doesn't go over the fence, it's not an automatic home run, but it hit so deep and in the corner that he was super fast and he was trying to get all the way around the bases before they could get the the ball to home plate. And as the ball was coming into home plate, he was diving and he dove to slide and he got tagged and my dad was the umpire and dad called him out. (laughs) And, There were people in the stand. I can't believe you called him in, it was close. And my dad said, listen, you know, he knows he was out, or he'd be standing here yelling at me. God calls it the way he sees it. He doesn't call it the way you want him to see it. He doesn't call it the way that makes it comfortable for you. He calls it the truth. He sees the truth. And so his approval is for your best good. It takes work, but he'll make it worth it. But his approval is important. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, I'm not saying you can work your way into heaven. I'm not saying you can get so good that God will look down from heaven and he'll see you and he'll say, oh man, Teresa Qualls, you are so fantastic, come on to heaven. That's not what God does. See, before God could accept Teresa, Teresa had to accept the fact that she was a sinner and then receive the gift of salvation from the Lord. So that's what we need to do. But once you're his child, then he has expectations on your behavior. And the better you are, the more reward you earn for heaven and the better you can understand and follow him in this life. A worker approved to God, and then second, next thing is a worker. Did you notice that God never called you to be a spectator? So Kathy loves football. I like football, I watch it some. I never, extremely rare I'll watch a whole game unless I'm sick or something. Uh, I'll watch part of it and then leave and then come back and you know sometimes even when I don't want to watch it I still hear about it for some strange reason and (laughs) Just like she hears about it when I'm watching the Olympic track and field and and I'm yelling through the whole house But you know um, sometimes we we get uh, The idea that when our team wins we're so thrilled and excited and your brain gets an endorphin rush as if you did something when you didn't do anything. You're just a spectator. And so in some of the games that we've watched, that at least I've watched part of, she's watched all of, uh, in some of those games, there were 100,000 or more people in the stands in desperate need of exercise, watching 12, uh, 11 people on the field in desperate need of rest. We have a spectator mentality in our culture, and it sometimes creeps into the church. And people come to church, and it was a good service if I enjoyed the music. It was a good service if the message was a little bit entertaining. Now, actually, it's only a good service if it moves you toward Jesus Christ, if it moves you closer to follow him. So approve to God, you are a worker, not a spectator, you are to be involved. And then he says, who does not need to be ashamed. Have you thought about how much you will feel shame when we stand before God and give account for our lives? So I I remember a time when I was a kid and I was a rebel and my dad told me, here's the rules, here's what you need to do while I'm gone, you must do all this. And I said, okay, okay, and then he was gone. And you know what, he was gone, out of sight, out of mind. I never thought a word, never thought a thing about what he said I needed to do until he showed up again. And then he said, all right, I told you to do this. Nope, this, nope, this, nope. And then he explained the consequences of those nopes. While he was gone, I had fun. But when I had to give account to him, I was ashamed. Because what he asked me to do was stuff I could have done. It would have taken some effort, but I could do it. God never asks you to do something you cannot do. In fact, when he tells you something to do, he then gives you the capacity to get it done. You may not believe this, but I actually was a shy, quiet kid. Kathy can actually remember that. I was still a shy, quiet kid when she met me. It didn't last, but when God called me to preach, I thought it was a mistake. I thought God couldn't use somebody because I was introverted and quiet, and I didn't think God could use me. But God then gave me the capacity to do what he called me to do. He changes us. He equips us. So we we don't need to be ashamed. We can do the stuff he wants us to do. We don't need to be embarrassed because we were loafing it and we were slackers. We can do something that brings good to the work of Christ. And then he says, rightly dividing. Now this means to cut it straight. To divide it accurately, to analyze, to handle it rightly, to interpret it accurately. Rightly dividing the word of God. See, that's kind of what we're doing here. We're breaking it down by words and and phrases and rightly dividing it. We need to be able to understand his word in an accurate way. So, and what do we need to rightly divide? The word of what? What's it say? The word of truth. The word of truth. I was sitting talking with a pastor just a couple months ago. And he doesn't live in this area. And and I was talking with him. And he told me, he said, you know, I know the Bible's very specific in creation. And and very specific language there. But, you know, sometimes God speaks figuratively. And so I just think. It doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe whatever happened, God did it. That's, you know, I think it's kind of important that you believe what God said that he did, not what man says he did. We have to understand God's word accurately. So... The methodology that we use as a church that we teach in our Bible classes, Tim just taught a whole series through our adult Bible class on how to study God's word and interpret it accurately. Uh, But the the method that we use is that we study the scripture through a normative slash literal grammatical, historical, contextual, and dispensational method of interpretation. That's called a hermeneutic. I, if I said, what's your hermeneutic, you might think, do I have a disease, you know? Yeah. Is something showing on my skin? No, your hermeneutic is, is your method of Bible interpretation. So you need to, we follow it this way in order to accurately understand the text and discern the intent of each passage. This, these are the lenses through which we look at the scripture. It's actually one lens, but in multiple parts. And so we look at it this way. We believe that God said what he meant and that God meant what he said. So um, sometimes, well, everybody should, I think, wear sunglasses. Uh, Sunglasses reduce glare, but they also protect your eyes from the ultraviolet uh, light that can be dangerous and damage your vision. So um, I, Those of us who have prescription lenses, we need prescription sunglasses as well to avoid walking into walls even though our eyes are protected. Uh, So see, the lens through which you look protects you from the damaging rays of the sun that you cannot see, but they can damage your eyes. And so the lens that we look at the Bible needs to be the proper lens that will give you clearer understanding of what God wants you to see, but it will also protect you from the many false ideas that are out there because there's a lot of them. And they're shared by people that contradict the Bible and the teachings of scripture and those things will hurt you spiritually just as surely as the ultraviolet rays will hurt your eyes. Looking at the Bible wrongly will hurt you spiritually. So let's take a minute to look at a couple of these things. First, normative slash literal. That's a weird way to say it, but here's why we say it. Because uh, there are times when the Bible is figurative. Now, most of the times it'll say it's figurative. It'll say, it was like, and then describes, or I saw it was as, and then describe something. You say, okay. It's definitely figurative. But there are times when it doesn't say it's figurative, but you know that it must be based on the logical understanding of the entire text of Scripture. For instance, when Jesus was having the Lord's Supper and he's breaking up the bread to give to his, he said, take, ye." This is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And what did he do? He broke off the bread and gave it to him. So were they eating his body? No, he didn't break off his finger. I'm not being silly, but he didn't break off his finger and give it to him. He broke off the bread and gave it to him. So we understand the bread is a symbol, a picture of the body broken for us. It didn't miraculously become the body of Jesus because the body of Jesus was still there. So we we understand, all right, he's speaking figuratively. He didn't say this is going to be a symbol of, but they understood it that way. It was clear based on it the normative understanding of that. So we believe that God spoke through human writers, the very words of scripture that are what God intended to say, that we're reading the word of God, not a fortune cookie. It's understandable. So we don't seek a mystical meaning. We don't look and he says, okay, it says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Oh, I know what that means. When I go to church on Sunday, I have to wear my prettiest clothes and have my hair done just perfectly because I'm going to present myself to God. It has nothing to do with the outside and everything to do with the inside. You could show up to church in a thousand dollar suit or a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and if your heart's right with God, that's the person that he's gonna accept regardless of the exterior. So uh, we, we don't seek mystical meanings. We seek to understand the most normal, literal, common reading unless there's a scriptural reason we should not. That's why we believe in six literal days of creation. And in a worldwide catastrophic flood in Noah's day, because God used precise words and not figurative language. Just, just think about it. In the days of creation, there's a phrase that God used every day. And it said this, the evening and the morning were the first day were the second day. Or the third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, the evening and the morning. All right, when that language is used, it's precisely speaking of a 24-hour period. He didn't say when a measure of time, the eon and the eon. No, he said evening and morning. God used six days. Now, could God have used evolution? Absolutely, he could have, but, That's not what he said he did. He said he created it all in one week and he had fully mature plants and animals and people all in a week. That's what he said that he did in six days. Now, some people are like, well, that's impossible. Actually, if God spoke, let there be light and the universe existed, anything's possible. The only wonder is why did he take six days? He could have made it instantaneous but he took the six days to establish the timeframe. But there's specific language. So we either take God at his word or we corrupt God's word by saying, oh, that must be figurative. Well, that's not what God said. And you know, when Noah led the construction of the ark, it was built to precise measurements. I don't know if you've actually looked at it, but the length and width and height measurement of the ark are the exact dimensions, not the same size, but the exact dimension. The ark was using cubits, uh, the ship was using uh, meters, but the, the same length and width and height of the Exxon Valdez oil tanker that was built in 1986 and it served as an oil tanker till it destroyed half of the coast of Alaska. Uh, But then it uh, was refurbished and put out as a tanker again and then it was refurbished again and put out as a shipping uh, boat and it wasn't retired from, from being a cargo ship until the year 2012. But the dimensions, the length, the width, the height, Exactly. What we have used in modern shipping. See, it, it's real. It's not a hypothetical thing. The the pictures that show the ark looking like a bathtub with the animals' heads sticking out the windows, that corrupts the Bible the Bible story is accurate. And so additionally, Jesus spoke of Noah as a real historical person and of creation and the flood as actual historical events. So online, you can find links that talk about the secret Bible code, ooh, yeah. Uh, One link said, everything is secretly encoded in the Bible, even your birth death and the end of the world another one and oh it has to be true right it was written by a rabbi it says amazing bible codes and secret letters and numbers in the bible that that's not accurate see the bible is God's revelation revelation revealing himself and his will to people. Not God hiding it so only the most noble can find it, but to reveal it so that even a child can know the way to heaven. Those are the words of Jesus himself. So we look for normal, we look through a normal, literal lens. We don't look for mystical meanings or hidden messages. Uh, we look for what is clearly spoken and what is clearly figurative. But we don't treat what's clearly spoken as if it were figurative because that doesn't match up. It violates common sense and distorts God's revelation. Hey, I want you to turn, mark your spot here, we'll come back, and then turn to Revelation 21. <coughs> Can you hide that for just a minute? I don't want people reading that yet. Revelation 21. And I want you to look at two verses here, and then we'll pop that back on the screen, and we'll read that. Okay, Revelation 21, verse 15. Uh, This is John writing about an angel who talked with him. Uh, He who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, the New Jerusalem, and uh he to measure the city its gates and its walls the city is laid out as a square its length is as great as its breadth and he measured the city with the reed 12000 furlongs its length breadth and height are equal so it's like this gigantic cube big huge city so uh, now, pop this up. This is a guy who was actually a Bible translator. He'd written a commentary on Revelation, and here's what he says. The enormous size of the city uh, causes some surprise since a stadium, or, or a furlong, is about 607 feet. So 1,200 of them would be about 1,400 miles. And he said it's possible to conceive of a city con- covering the entire uh, western part of the United States, from west of the Mississippi. Mississippi, but it's difficult to think of the same city reaching 1,400 miles up into the ionosphere. The numbers are obviously symbolic. All right, so here's a guy who's translating the Bible, who's writing a commentary about how to understand the Bible, and he says, I just can't imagine a city that big, so that's not what God meant. God meant something else, okay? We look at the Bible through a normative slash literal lens. That's what we look through. Is that city beyond our capacity to imagine? Yes. So are a lot of other things about the new heaven and the new earth beyond our capacity to comprehend? I can't imagine gold that's so pure it's almost translucent. Translucent. I can't imagine walking on streets of gold. I can't imagine streets without potholes. <laughs> but, but it's going to happen. The Bible says so. And so we take God at his word. We don't treat God's specific truth as if it were allegory or mythical. It's God's revelation. We believe God said what he meant and meant what he said. The second part of our lens is grammatical. And see, this means that you read it like a book, like any other non-fiction book you read, you read this the same way. Now, this is inspired, other books are not. We understand the difference there, but we don't turn off our brains when we get into the Bible. We read it. There are sentences. Within sentence structure, you look for nouns and you look for verbs and you look for objects, direct objects and indirect objects. And and you look for adjectives and adverbs and you look for those things to fit the sentence together. And so because the, the structure of the text actually helps us understand what it means, we get the appropriate interpretation by reading it and understanding it. So, when you read a book, you pay attention to its genre, what type of literature it is. If it's poetry, how many of you love to read poetry? Oh, a few do. Okay. God will forgive you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Herm, Herm reads and writes poetry, but, but I, I like some poetry, but uh, very little. Uh, there, but you, when you're reading poetry or you're reading a murder mystery, you read it differently. Your brain's engage differently. When you're reading the poem, you want the feeling of the poem. When you're reading a murder mystery, you want the facts of the case. You're you're thinking about it differently. The Bible includes uh, history and prophecy and poetry and biography and even personal letters written to individuals and groups of people. So we read the Bible with a different understanding when we're in different sections or genres of scripture, but we never disregard the grammatical structure. We don't just make up our own ideas. Are, are you still in Revelation 21 by chance? Well, look again at verse, uh, we're gonna read a little more, okay? Verse 10, um, the angel carried John away and the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a Jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also she had great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were written uh, were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city its gates and its walls the city was laid out as a square its length is as great as its breadth and he measured the city with the reed 12000 furlongs its length breadth and height are equal okay so yes we reread those two verses we'd already read but john uses very clear terms we can understand he uses city gates Walls, foundations, length, breadth, height. We understand what those words mean. We're not, oh, I wonder what he meant by height. Did he mean it was underground? No, we know that's not what it means. We meant it was coming up. So we don't need to guess at a mystical or allegorical meaning. Even though we may not understand it perfectly, the Bible is not a mystical book. It's a knowable, well-written expression of God's plan and purpose. And we use grammatical as part of understanding it. We read it and we study it and we learn it. A third part of our lens is the historical perspective. The historical perspective. Now back when I was in uh, Trek, the middle school club, I served in there for quite a few years, Dan Weber and I served in there. Every time I was talking about something historical from the Bible, I would tell the kids, hey, this, this is really old, man. This is pre-Dan Weber stuff. This goes way back. And the kids would all go, whoa. They enjoyed picking on him too for some reason. You're just a pickable guy, Dan. But he'd pick on me back. That's okay. So historical. So when we look at it historically, we look to understand what did this mean when it was written. We could describe it as what was the authorial intent. The writer had a purpose for putting this here. What was the intent? And so we're attempting to stand in the writer's shoes. We're trying to recreate his experience, to think as he thought and feel as he did and decide as he decided. And we're asking, what did this mean to him? What did it mean to the people who received it the first time? And we ask those questions long before we get to the question, what does this mean to us? We look at it historically. Now, sometimes this requires a lot of study and a lot of imagination. We, how did the people who read it the first time understand it? What did they think? What did they feel as they read this text? Uh, some years ago, I was encouraging people to read through the Bible and that year I one year we read through the whole bible in chronological order a whole bunch of us did that together and but this year i was just as said let, let's just start with january 31 days in january 31 chapters in proverbs let's read a proverb a day through the month of january just to get the discipline the habit the practice going and so one of the people in the church did that and they're reading through proverbs and and uh, uh, They got to Proverbs 14 and verse four says, where no oxen are, the troth is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. And I got this phone call, pastor, you know, I read through chapter 14 this morning because it's the 14th and what in the world does that verse mean? See, in our culture, you know, I mean, If I went over to the Qualls' house, I don't think I'd find an oxen in the backyard. might find kids in the backyard mooing, but there wouldn't be an oxen in the backyard. Okay, Uh, uh, we don't live that way. In their culture, in their day, usually right to the side of the house. You'd have the people's side and the animal's side, and you'd have it all walled in together so no one could steal your animals. In fact, that's how it still is in, in the parts of Cuba that Kathy and I were in a dozen years ago. That's how it was. There was one church we were in. You were there, weren't you, when the pigs were in the other part? No, I wasn't oh. That oh, there were five big pigs in the side of the church. And it was a really, a day like today, only. Worse, high humidity, low clouds, just uh, oppressive air, and the pigs were right there. And we're in the church service, and the only thing separating us from the pigs was a three-quarter wall. And it just didn't smell very good. (laughs) So, see, in their culture, if you had an ox, what could you do with an ox? Well, you could plow a field. You could have it carry a cart. It could pull a cart and carry your stuff. An ox was very valuable. Once you gathered up the harvest, you could strap the ox to a grinding stone and it could grind around and around as it helped grind the corn or the wheat and and grind it for you. What an ox brought a lot. It was important for people to be able to have an ox. But an ox brought some other things too it brought mess. Stuff goes in the front end of an ox and it doesn't just stay there. We'll just leave it at that, okay? So, so there were messes, there were smells. So he's saying in this proverb that if you don't have an ox, your place can look pristine. But if you have an ox, it won't look quite as good, but the ox brings a lot of benefit to it. It's worth it to have that ox. So see, we look at it historically. Now, once we look at the history, then we can apply it into our own hearts and lives after we look at the history. So we need to intentionally remember the Bible actually was not written to us, but it was written for us. And even though it was not written to us, we can still learn from different passages. All right, you people who got that uh, card, uh, please step up to the microphone, and you're going to tell us. Uh, I asked them to do this. In a minute or less, briefly share a, share a brief testimony about a particular verse or Bible teaching that encouraged or challenged and blessed you. So come on up. Jerry, get us started. All right. All right. Is it on? Oh,
0: yeah. It's on. All right. So... So, so mine was about First Corinthians ten thirteen, and it's essentially talking about temptation. And um, I'm tempted to do a lot of bad things, like you know, lie or disobey my parents. But you know, this verse reminds me that, that God is with me, and um, even if I do do it, he'll he'll forgive me, and he's just with me. Okay.
1: The verse that I'm reminded of is Proverbs sixteen nine. It says that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So it's a good encouragement and reminder that it's the Lord that gives me the strength to keep going and guides me where I go next.
0: Okay. A Bible verse that encouraged me is Ephesians 5, 2. And it encourages me because even when I have doubts, I know he's always there and always loves me. And, (laughs) sorry. uh, That's good. (laughs)
1: Thanks. Appreciate it.
0: So, a couple of years ago, my wife passed away, and I was going through her Bible uh, preparing for the uh, celebration of life, and I came across this Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, to, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Been pretty good so far. Thanks. Amen. Yeah, recently I've been praying for God's will, and I just want to know what God has in store for the future. Uh, recently, God's reminded me of 1 Peter 5 8, just be sober, be diligent, for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, seeketh about whom he may devour. I just need to be sober and diligent, and the Lord will play out the rest of his life for me.
1: Amen.
0: Originally, I was going to share Ephesians 2 8, 9, and 10, but the Holy Spirit asked me to share something more recent because that's from 59 years ago when I accepted the <laughs> Lord. First um, Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. In the last two years, I have had great loss in my life. I lost my husband, 14 months later, I lost a dear friend of 57 years, and then in November, the day after Thanksgiving, I lost my 54-year-old son to cancer. Um, Through it all because I have a relationship with Christ. He has carried those burdens for me and given me peace. I'm sad. I cry for them. I miss them. But I know that one day I will see them again in heaven.
1: Amen. See, it, it wasn't written to you but it was written for you. So that's why 2 Timothy 2.15 says to be diligent, to present yourself approved to God, uh, to be a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let God's truth speak into your heart and life. Now, you might notice that I added something on this screen. It says personal. I want you to take uh, think, view this verse as personal persistence. Be diligent study no slackers allowed go ahead and click up that next one personal persistence secondly personal responsibility you need to present yourself this doesn't say parents present your kids it says you present yourself third personal ministry you are a worker God wants you to be engaged and involved. And we, we've had people out at the uh, uh, street fair, and some of them had never done anything like that before in their lives, and, and God's blessing, and they're involved and engaged and reaching out, and, and it's a fun thing when you serve God with other people. Uh, we have people serving in our Awana ministries and, and in our Bible classes and in other outreaches that we do. So personal ministry, what are you doing to further the cause of Christ? We are workmen, not spectators. Personal integrity, so that you don't need to be ashamed. Personal integrity. You're, you, you will not be embarrassed if you're serving God. When he calls you home. If you're not. You might be embarrassed. For a little bit. Yes God forgives sin. But it's better. When he rewards you for doing right. Instead of just fails to punish you. For doing wrong. And then lastly. Personal comprehension. Rightly dividing. The word of truth. Now. When it comes to this church, who has the most responsibility to make sure the messages in this church are accurate and true to scripture? Every single member in the church. In fact, there's people here today who are not members, you also have that responsibility. And you would have the responsibility to tell a member, hey, something's off here and then you would go to another church. I don't think you should, because I think we're on, not off. But everybody has that responsibility. Yes, I have more influence on the weekly messages, but everybody has the responsibility to rightly divide the word of truth. See, the truth of scripture is not based on who is reading it, but on how they are reading it. If we look through the right lens, we'll get the right interpretation, and we can follow the Lord. So we are seeking truth and avoiding error because there is a wrong way to read and study the Bible, and there's a right way to do it. And we want to do the right thing. We want a right understanding.
0: Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at VictoryArizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing Victory at VictoryArizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.